Welcome to this episode of Beads Podcast, a weekly reflection on church history with Dr. Michael A.G. Haken. Dr. Haken serves as the chair and professor of church history at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is on the core faculty of Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. He's also a fellow of the Royal Historical Society in recognition of his contributions to historical scholarship. Join us now as we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people. Last week, we began to look at Patrick of Ireland, his social and historical background, his being taken to Ireland as a slave around the year 406 when he was 16, which also resulted in his conversion around the same period of time. After six years as a slave in northwestern Ireland, Patrick managed to escape and eventually find his way back to his family in Britain. The period that elapsed between his return to Britain, which would have been around the year 412, and his going back to Ireland as a missionary, which is around the year 430-432, is an obscure period. We do know that in this period, Patrick had a striking dream in which he sensed a call to return to Ireland to work among the people who had enslaved him. It was also during this time that Patrick may have received some formal theological training in preparation for ordination as a deacon and then as a presbyter. In the course of this preparation, he became thoroughly familiar with the Latin Bible, so much so that he has on occasion been described as a man unius libri. John Wesley often said this of himself, that he was a man of one book. But whatever the case with Wesley, it certainly is true with Patrick. In fact, the only book that we can we know that he read as on the basis of his confession and his letter to the soldiers of Caroticus was indeed the Latin Bible. At the end of this period, that is around the year 432, he departed for the part of Ireland where he had been held captive. That would have been the north, northwestern part of Ireland. He would never return to Britain. As he wrote in his confession, chapter 43, Wherefore then, even if I wished to leave and go to Britain, and how I would have loved to go to my country and my parents, and also to Gaul in order to visit the brethren and to see the face of the saints of my Lord, God knows it that I much desired it, But I am bound by the Spirit, who gives evidence against me if I do this, telling me that I shall be guilty. And I am afraid of losing the labor which I have begun. Nay, not I, but Christ the Lord, who bade me come here and stay with them for the rest of my life, if the Lord will. And in another text from the same work, he could state, I came to the people of Ireland to preach the gospel and to suffer insult from unbelievers, bearing the reproach of my going abroad and many persecutions, even unto bonds, and to give my free birth for the benefit of others. And should I be worthy, I am prepared to give even my life without hesitation, and most gladly for his name. And it is here that I wish to spend it until I die, if the Lord would grant it to me. These texts reveal a man who has a deep certainty of the will of God for his life, to live out his days in Ireland so the Irish might come to know God as he had done. In the first text, he says he must do this because he is bound by the Spirit, This phrase, bound by the Spirit, is drawn directly from Acts 20, verse 22, where the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian elders that he is bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, despite the probability that he would experience much suffering there. The Apostle is committed to doing what he perceives as God's will, no matter the cost. The clear implication in Patrick's use of this term is that he shares the Apostle Paul's depth of commitment. Moreover, Patrick's writings display the conviction that his evangelistic activity was to be one of the final events of history. Here he is speaking in Confession, chapter 34. 
I must accept with equanimity whatever befalls me, be it good or evil, and always give thanks to God who taught me to trust in him always without hesitation, and who must have heard my prayer so that I, however ignorant I was, in the last days dared to undertake such a holy and wonderful work, thus imitating somehow those who, as the Lord once foretold, would preach his gospel for a testimony to all nations before the end of the world. So we have seen it, and so it has been fulfilled. Indeed, we are witnesses that the gospel has been preached unto those parts beyond which there lives nobody. This text well fits the experience of one for whom the fall of Roman imperial might was a fresh memory, and who, like Jerome, regarded that event as a sign of the end of the world. It also fits well with one who had been raised to the geographical view, typical of most Romans, that beyond the shores of Ireland there was only Oceanus, Ocean. To a man of classical antiquity like Patrick, Ireland was literally the last country on earth. It was the most westerly country in Europe. Beyond it was nothing. As Patrick's pagan contemporary, the poet Rutilius Nematianus, put it in the late 14s, the province of Britannia is, quote, parted from us in Rome far as earth's most distant bound. In Patrick's mind, he had been called then to preach the gospel to the last nation on earth in the last days. The course of his travels in Ireland is not at all clear from his confession, but it was probably restricted to the northern half of the island. His ministry in Ireland was extremely successful, though he certainly had not evangelized the whole of Ireland by his time of his death, which cannot have been long after he wrote his confession. Patrick died around 461, and from that point until the early 630s, total silence reigns about him in the Irish Christian tradition. In the 630s, he is mentioned by Cummian, abbot of Duro. In a letter to Seguin, abbot of Iona, Cummian describes Patrick as, quote, the holy Patrick, our father. But this shroud of silence should not be taken to mean that Patrick was forgotten. His works, the Confession and the Letter to the Soldiers of Caroticus, were obviously copied, cherished, and transmitted. Moreover, his missionary labors firmly planted the Christian faith in Irish soil and left a deep imprint on the Celtic Church that would grow up from this soil. Patrick speaks of thousands converted through his ministry, including sons and daughters of Irish kings. They were converted, he tells us, from the worship of idols and filthy things. It's noteworthy that he speaks here of the worship practices of Irish paganism with scorn and dislike. The phrase filthy things is kind of a, 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 a guttural, um, gut-wrenching phrase. And in order to increase the range of his ministry, he ordained pastors everywhere he went. Patrick never lost sight of the fact, though, that it was God's grace that lay behind each and every success of his mission. For I am very much God's debtor, he joyfully confessed, who gave me such great grace that many people were reborn in God through me. Yet his missionary labors were not without strong opposition, presumably from the Celtic Druids in Ireland. In one section of his confession, he says, Daily I expect murder, fraud, or captivity. Patrick's response to these dangers reveals the true mettle of the man. I fear none of these things because of the promises of heaven. I have cast myself into the hands of God Almighty, who rules everywhere, as the prophet says, Cast thy thought upon God, and he shall sustain thee. There was not only external opposition, though. Many of Patrick's Christian contemporaries in the Western Roman Empire appear to have given little thought to evangelizing their barbarian neighbors. As Mary B. de Poor notes, 
There was seemingly no organized, concerted effort made to go out and convert pagans beyond the confines of the Western Roman Empire during the twilight years of Roman rule in the West. Did the church in the West regard the barbarians as somehow less than human and therefore beyond the pale of evangelism? Whatever the reason, Patrick's mission to Ireland stands in splendid isolation. And thus, when Patrick announced his intention in Britain to undertake a mission to the Irish, there were those who strongly opposed him. Patrick remembered them saying this. Many tried to prevent this my mission. They would even talk to each other behind my back and say, Why does this fellow throw himself into danger among enemies who have no knowledge of God? Patrick, though, was assured of the rightness of his missionary activity in Ireland. He knew himself called to evangelize Ireland. He had a deep sense of gratitude to God for what the Lord had done for him. I cannot be silent, he declared, about the great benefits and the great grace which the Lord has deigned to bestow upon me in the land of my captivity. But this we can give to God in return after having been chastened by him to exalt and praise his wonders before every nation that is anywhere under the heavens. Most importantly, he had a robust understanding of what scripture clearly touches and teaches on this matter. We ought to fish well and diligently, he writes, as the Lord exhorts in advance and teaches, saying, Come after me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And again he says through the prophets, Behold, I send many fishers and hunters, says God, and so on. Hence it was most necessary to spread our nets, so a great multitude and throng might be caught for God, and there might be clerics everywhere to baptize and exhort a people in need and want, as the Lord in the gospel states exhorts and teaches, saying, Going therefore now, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever, whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. And again he says, Go therefore into the whole world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be condemned. And again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony of all nations, and then the end shall come. And so too the Lord announces to the prophet and says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants indeed, and upon my handmaids, will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And in Hosea, he says, I will call that which is not my people, my people, and that her that had not obtained mercy, one that has obtained mercy, and it shall be in the place where it was said, You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Finally, we need to note that it was faith in the triune God that ultimately led Patrick to Ireland and kept him there. It was for this faith that he was bound in the spirit. It was this faith that he longed to pass on to the Irish. As he wrote in Confession chapter 14, in which he ties faith in the Trinity and mission together, in the light, therefore, of our faith in the Trinity, I must make this choice, regardless of danger. I must make known the gift of God and everlasting consolation. Without fear and frankly, I must spread everywhere the name of God, so after my decease I may leave a bequest to my brethren and sons whom I have baptized in the Lord, so many thousands of people. The Celtic church that grew out of the ministry of Patrick was marked by a number of these uh, elements of Patrick's life. It was deeply missional. missional. Uh, deeply missionary, seeking and uh, achieving the evangelization of other parts of the British Isles, and then going back to the continent and re-evangelizing parts of what were then Gaul and uh, Italy. 
it was also deeply devoted to writing, uh, which is very curious. When uh, Patrick got to Ireland, the, Patrick, the Irish were largely illiterate. Uh, Patrick himself, as he admits, struggled with writing. But when he died and in the years that followed, he left this bequest of, of, of passion for literacy and a passion for writing and reading to the point that by the late 6th century, in the late 500s, uh, Ireland was probably the most learned area of Western Europe. And then finally, he left a deep interest in the Trinity and uh, Patrick's Trinitarianism, uh, which is very evident uh, in, his, um, in his confession, becomes a marked element of the Celtic Church, their fascination with and their desire to proclaim the doctrine of the Trinity. So Patrick, the real Patrick, much more interesting than the hallowed saint of the medieval period and the various legends that grew up about him. A passionate evangelist who wrongly believed that he was living in the very last days of history, but whose uh, passion for taking the gospel to the Irish is still needed to be emulated today in many parts of the world. May God raise up many Patricks. Beads Podcast is in partnership with H&E Publishing, a reformed and Canadian publishing house seeking to spread the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through the publication of church history, biblical spirituality, Christian living, and theology. Join us next time as we seek to see what God has done in the history of His people.